New City Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching through Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, and the sermon title is, When the Light Makes You a Target. We hope you are blessed by the message today. I pray you'd convict us of sin. Don't don't let us walk away having looked in the perfect mirror of the word and not seek to change. God, help us. I pray, God, that as the scriptures maybe interrupt our thinking or point out ways that we're walking wrongly, that we would then plead for the help of the Spirit. God, to then walk in obedience to Jesus and to his word. Thank you for gathering us, God. Thank you for every person in this room, everything that we're going through, all the trials, all the blessings. We thank you that we come to a God today who has never changed, and you remain the same, and you are constant. So we need you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Bless us, God, as we look to it and speak through me. Help me to teach and speak and preach by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, title of the message today is When the Light Makes You a Target. When the Light Makes You a Target. So we're not getting to the big, probably most famous part of Daniel. is the Dan- Daniel in the lion's den. That'll come the week after Easter. Um, and I don't know what it is, but it seems that Isaac always gets the like really cool pl- spots in Daniel. So our bro- uh, Pastor Isaac will be speaking or preaching when that time comes. So that's going to be awesome. But this is um, a great chunk and, and has so much in it. It's again why we did not include the entire chapter. But let's, let's begin just as a, a way of kind of where we are and where we've come from here at the beginning of chapter 6. We're looking at probably just a very short time from the end of chapter 5. Whereas some of the chapter breaks are covering years of time, this is very likely um, no, no real way of knowing exactly the time frame, but based on how the chapter begins, it's a short time from the last chapter. Belshazzar was just murdered by the invading armies of the Medes and the Persians. If you remember, that's the scene. The, line, the, the chapter closes with the killing of Belshazzar. And we know from that context that those armies were looming outside waiting to invade and attack. And certainly that did happen. And that's all verifiable, not only in scripture, but also in extra biblical texts as well. That head of gold, Babylon, comes to an end and was replaced by the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire, which is fulfilled prophecy, which is also a huge part of Daniel. Verse 31 of chapter 5, if you just kind of glance back, it says, And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being 62 years old. So just real briefly, there is some conversation about this figure because if you do some digging, I want to just give you this in case you study and you, and you have that very studious mind and you like the details, but I won't belabor it, just briefly. Darius, a man named Darius is nowhere in ancient history. So, of course, that would cause people to be troubled, like, wait a minute, can we trust Daniel? And we've already 
covered various things like this where, like our brother last week said, you know, it takes time for our modern-day science to catch up with Scripture. Eventually, it does, and this has happened through the centuries. And, but, so just to kind of explain that, some scholars believe this is actually, excuse me, King Cyrus. Others would say that this is a man that is identified in history named Gubaru, because there is documentation of Cyrus, the king, a Medo or a Persian king, who appointed a man named Gubaru um, as a ruler over the empire of the Medo-Persian empire shortly after the invasion. And all of these are possible. Why? Because the word Darius, what it means is holder of the scepter. So the most likely scenario is that Darius is similar to what Herod is. Herod isn't a name, but a title. Darius is likely a title of the holder of the scepter, the one who is ruling. It in no way confuses or diminishes the power and the strength and the validity of God's word. Um, So I don't think we should think that way. But if you were to dive in deeper and look for Darius, the figure, there isn't a man named Darius. But here, just remember this. God's word is not dependent upon other sources, right? The word of God and, and trusting in scripture isn't dependent. You know, we've, we've come to maybe like when there's other supporting documents that show us and we go, yes, praise God, it's true. But we already should have believed that it's true, right? Based on other far more significant things. We hold God's word to be truth and in and of itself to be an authentic source of record. So other sources may not say anything about Darius, but Scripture does. Scripture does identify Darius as a figure, and they're calling him Darius. What his actual name was, um, that remains to be seen. We'll know someday. But it is a valid source of history. It doesn't bother me, and it shouldn't bother you, that historians are struggling with this text and trying to find loopholes, because there will always be people who do that. It is enough, and this is where we'll end with this point, it's enough for me that Jesus, this is reflecting back on the first chapter or the introduction to to Daniel, it's enough that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, identified Daniel as a prophet. Jesus Christ already validated for me that Daniel is an authentic source of written scripture and a prophet of God, and that's sufficient, wouldn't you say? It's good. It's good for me. So you don't have to worry about that. If you study it and you run into like supposed roadblocks and where people are contesting the validity of Scripture, dig a little deeper, wait a little longer, but remember, Scripture itself is authoritative. It doesn't need any other source to help it be so. So we'll just move on from there. But that's the character we're facing, so I wanted to make sure that that was at least laid out in brief. So I'm breaking this sermon up into three parts, and I'm going to take them one at a time. In verses 1 through 3, we see this. Daniel was distinguished above the others. Verses 4 through 9, Daniel was blameless, but a target for the enemy. He was blameless before man, but a target for the enemy. And and thirdly, verses 10 through 15, Daniel disciplined himself beforehand for the day of his trial. And we're going to walk through each one of those and take each of these chunks a little bit at a time. So number one, Daniel was distinguished above the others. So what we see in the opening part of this text is that there's a brand new government in place consisting of what the scriptures say is 120 satraps or satraps or however you want to say it. The word satrap means protector of the kingdom. So these were delegates chosen by Darius the king for the sake of protecting that empire. 
So again, no longer Babylonian Empire, but a Medo-Persian Empire, new ruler, new government. This system is now being ushered in. 120 satraps. Verse 2 says, Over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might not suffer loss. So a little bit more detail surrounding what this new government is that's being put in place. What's happening here is a system of really checks and balances put in place with delegated authority. So you have the 120 satraps and then three officials placed over them for oversight, evidently to keep there from being corruption. So that that the king might not suffer loss. So what you can see from that is so that he might not suffer loss of what? Financial, taxes, things that would come into the kingdom so that he would not suffer loss of what the kingdom should have, have coming. He sets over in place these 120 delegates, probably overlooking various regions of the new empire. So Darius didn't want to suffer loss, therefore this structure was put in place. But here's what I want us to notice. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So how cool is that, first of all? Here's Daniel again. He is in his 80s. We do know enough about the time frame that Daniel is an old man now. He's in his 80s, and here he is among the three high officials that are placed over the 120 satraps that are overseeing the entire kingdom. How cool is that? God's man. The man of God, right there in the middle of that new government system. Daniel is basically up for a raise and a promotion. The king plans to make him number one, to set him over the whole kingdom. That's the plan that's in place, which is also just incredibly awesome. Daniel is still respected and admired. I think that's worth noting. Even after all the bad news that he's been called upon to deliver. So think of what he's had to say. Think of the things that he's been called upon to communicate to kings and rulers. He's still respected, even though these are kings that have not shared his faith or worldview. Now, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar's view changed over time, and we see at the end of his life a different man as the one that kidnapped Daniel and his friends. But these guys did not share their worldview. And it should be said that Daniel still respected the office that he served under. Now that's equally as impressive, that Daniel is even still willing to be there. And seemingly so, serving with gladness. And willing to serve his God under even that type of system. He respected the office, and I think ultimately because he respected the sovereignty of God who placed these these kings in power. He understood, again, like we should, and it's been mentioned, that we understand because of God's sovereignty, that's why this king is here. And Daniel can serve under that even evil system, knowing that his God is sovereign. And that's what helps us to even serve God amongst or under evil rulers in our day. That's the only way that that helps us to make sense of the confusion in the system, is to say, God, you are sovereign. And, that's, and I will serve you here. I'll serve you here, even with this president or that ruler. I'm going to serve you. And if I'm called upon to serve you or speak for you or speak to these people in your name, I will do that. And I'll do that without shame. But the word says he was distinguished above 
the others. How did Daniel get to that place? And I think this is worth asking. How did he become distinguished? It's worth asking because there's absolutely nothing wrong with desiring to be distinguished in the places in which God has placed you. So God has placed you in different places. You all have various scenarios. I know some of them, but as the church grows, I I know less and less of them. And plus, life changes, and I don't know what you guys are doing. You know where you're at, the places that God has called you. Where you work, where you influence, your, your community, the places that you live. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be distinguished in the places in which God has called you. There's nothing sinful and des- about desiring success in your life and desiring influence and platform. There's nothing ultimately or intrinsically sinful about desiring those things. What becomes a danger to us is when the desire for success or influence or platform is not for the ultimate pur- purpose of magnifying Jesus Christ. If it's not ultimately to magnify him and glorify him through all of our endeavors, then those desires to be successful and to have a platform and have influence are corrupt. So just let that be a check in your heart. What is your influence? What are you doing? What is the career, the place, the the position that God has called you right now, your station in life? Use it in every way you can for the glory of Jesus. To magnify him, I think we get a great representation from Daniel of what it means to magnify God and point to him through our skills and our callings and even our station and our position of where we are. Daniel was distinguished and stood out above the other high officials because, the scripture tells us, a spirit of excellence was in him. That's notable. A spirit of excellence was in him. Now, our New Testament minds think immediately probably of what? The Holy Spirit. A spirit of excellence. That's where my mind wants to go. Well, of course, the Holy Spirit is excellent. But this isn't actually talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about the third person of the Trinity. The specific wording here is not talking about God, although we we know that is the influence in Daniel's life. They're not separated from each other, but what is being talked about is literally his mindset, his character, and his qualities. In Daniel, his integrity is shining. Who he is as a person because of God, because of God's influence because he does follow Yahweh and he loves the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and he is committed to put him first in his life. His character is affected by that. His integrity shines out and he is distinguished above the rest. For instance, when Daniel faced adversity, he was calm and at peace. And he has faced a lot of adversity. He's been in a lot of ridiculously crazy situations That if we just imagine ourselves in any of those places before those kings with those opportunities, with the threat of death, would we remain calm and at peace? That would stand out, would it not? Wow, an excellent spirit is in that man. When nobody knew the answers to the questions around him and all the mysteries, he did. He knew the answers. And what did he do? He spoke the truth, spirit of excellence. He was distinguished above the rest. When his friends were under fiery trials, literally, remember Daniel was not in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What did, he remained faithful at his post. How do we know? Well, because here he is at 80 years old, and he's still serving, and he's still doing what God's called him to do. 
This is no doubt because of the strength of God and the wisdom of God. So I want you to be sure of this. It is good to be distinguished if Christ is made known and Christ gets the glory. It is good to be distinguished if Christ is made known and if Christ gets the glory. There is a mindset out there that does kind of, it checks our spirit, right? When we, do we want to be distinguished? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be distinguished because I want all glory to go to God. It's not about me. So that just becomes a, a daily discipline of pointing to Jesus, of reflecting Christ. But don't shy away from doing the best that you can at every endeavor that you, take, you put your hands to. If God's leading you into a situation or to a, a career or to a path or to a calling or into a, a relationship for a certain purpose or he's going to give you a raise... I was like, I don't want a raise. I'm supposed to be humble. No, get the raise, be promoted, and point to Jesus Christ. Or, if you don't and you get fired, still point to Jesus Christ. Use every opportunity. So, being fired could distinguish you too. Really. But you don't want to go that way. But he was distinguished above the rest. Proverbs 3, verse 3 to 4. Just a couple scriptures that really kind of undergird this as well. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. It's biblical. It's biblical. And then Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus gives us not only permission, but tells us, commands us, let your light shine. Shine the light. Why? For the purpose of the glory of our Father who is in heaven. So that takes some examination of ourselves and our lives. Where is it that God has called us to shine the light of Jesus Christ? And do so unashamedly. Do it for his glory. And that brings us to our next point. Daniel was distinguished and his light was shining and his reputation was great and God's hand was upon him and his influence was about to increase but all of this made him a excuse me a target for the enemy so he was distinguished and God was using him but he was a target so the second point is this Daniel was blameless in character but a target for the enemy look at verse 4 then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. He was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Dirty. What <laughs> dirty rotten scoundrels. I just, the movie came to mind. Sorry. I'm not making recommendations about movies. This is not saying that Daniel was sinless, okay? This says blameless. The word blameless comes up. It's also a New Testament concept. Elders in the church are called to be blameless. It's not saying there's sinless people here on earth. This is not saying that Daniel was sinless. Again, what it is saying is that he was a man of integrity, he was a man of integrity. They could not catch him in a lie. They could not catch him cheating. They couldn't catch him cheating on, on his taxes. They couldn't catch him cheating or dishonoring the king or wasting time on his job 
Why? Because he was faithful. So fill in the blanks there, people. Where are you caught unfaithful, even when nobody's looking? What if everybody was looking? What if the whole government system decided to put the, ag- the, the magnifying glass on you to find some way or some character flaw in you, a Christian? Just be honest. Are you faithful? Where do you seek to cheat? Where do you seek to do things dishonoring to God? Are we faithful? What blame could the world find in your life in regards to your conduct if they examined you today? See, the world may not know the theological ins and outs of Scripture and the doctrines of Christ and why you believe in the cross, but they do know, they do know how to read character, don't they? Uh, the world doesn't have to know theology to look at a Christian and see dishonesty. Right? The world doesn't have to look at, to know anything about God or theology or scripture to look and see lying or impatience or extreme anger. Right? They can look and say, well, you're a Christian and I know how to read character and that's bad character. They couldn't, isn't that cool though? They couldn't find that. They couldn't find that in Daniel. And if that convicts you, then, then let it. Let it convict you. But in Daniel's case, the fact that his character was so pure and no corruption was found surrounding his duties, and I think that's where we need to look at context. Where could they not find corruption? In his job. As one of the three high officials overseeing. And they had, he had a spotlight on him, didn't he? And they could see him. They could watch him. They couldn't find anything in the way he conducted his life. And that attracted him, or attracted some to him, but it created envy and murderous rage in others. And that will be the case with us too. Some, as you live your life for Christ and you seek to have good character and integrity, will be attracted to you and want to be part of your life and they'll want to know more. But others will become envious just by the fact that you know God. And it is God who is influencing you to be a man or woman of integrity and honesty and kindness and peace. And if Christ is the one that's influencing that, you can have no doubt that there will be people envious of that. Not of you, not because they want to be like you, but they, they envy what you have and they can't have it outside of Christ and so they hate. And they hate. Daniel 6, 6-9, let's read on. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom The prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So because an excellent spirit was in him, and because Daniel was being used by God and being faithful to God, there are people who want him gone now. And now they're seeking to find roundabout ways to pin him against the wall and bring an accusation. They want him gone. Have you ever experienced this in any way? I just want to try to draw a line of relation to this text. Why is there so much hatred against Christians in our world? 
Have you ever found yourself in this position? I'm not talking about because you did something silly or you did something literally stupid and now people hate you for it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you live for Christ and you're seeking to live an honorable life for Christ and it's because of that that people want you gone or out of the system or out of your job or out of their community or, or your voice to be quiet. Why is there so much hatred against Christians in our world? And the top answer, the biblical answer, is because they hate Christ. Jesus said, because they hate me, they will hate you. They hate his righteousness. Why? Because compared to holiness, sin is ugly. And Jesus is holy. He's the only one. If you were just trying to be a good person, void of Jesus Christ, people wouldn't care. Most of the world is trying to do pretty good. But when you do it in the name of Christ, and you say, Christ is my God, and I live for him, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, they will hate, many will, because Christ is holy, and sin is ugly. Ugly, it's ugly anyway, but isn't it ugly when compared with holiness? Why was Jesus crucified? I mean, in terms of religious leaders from their perspective, because he was perfect and said that righteousness is not something you can earn. It's only imputed by faith in Jesus Christ. And they hated that. They didn't have a problem with righteousness. They had a problem with imputed righteousness that they couldn't earn, that they couldn't do based on their own system. Jesus said, here's the system, only through me. I'm the only one who can give righteousness, and it comes by faith. And the Pharisees hated that. The religious leaders hated that. Satan hates the success, not of the world. He didn't hate Babylon. He did not hate the Tower of Babel. He hates Christian success. When Christians do what they do for the glory of God, he hates it. He hates this, the success of Christians and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's ultimately what it's about. What you're doing, where we have influence and platform, it's for the sake of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. And Satan, no doubt, notices, and enemies of God notice that. And there will be often, like here in this case, an attempt to shut you down and shut our mouths. Satan can in no way truly stop the plan of God in your life, and that's a good thing. He cannot ultimately stop God's plan in your life, but what can he do? He can disrupt, he can frustrate you, he can cause harm, he can tempt, he can press down, he can persecute you if God allows, and God does allow that, doesn't he? He'll allow persecution, he'll allow those things for our good and for your testing. Maybe you're going through something like that right now. Be comforted, though. Be comforted that God allows that because what does God want to ultimately show to the world? He wants to show his glory. And if a Christian under pressure trusts in the gospel, it shows that the gospel is stronger than any opposition that Satan can bring. That what we have in, in Christ and in faith in Jesus is, is the greatest power. It is the greatest success. It is the greatest victory that Satan can't have. And so... He will seek to frustrate. They could not find anything regarding his conduct, but what they did see clearly is that Daniel loved God. That's what they could see. Isn't that awesome? 
Like we can't find anything, but what we can see is he's committed to Jesus Christ. He's committed. He didn't know Christ yet. No, I'm not confused. I know he didn't know the name. But he trusted in who was coming. Did he not? How was Daniel saved? Because he believed in the promises of God. He believed in the Messiah to come. He believed that his righteousness was based on faith, just as Abraham did. And if there's any way they were going to trip him up, it would be in connection with the worship of his God. Can that be said of us? Can that be said of you? I won't catch him being unfaithful to his family, but I'll catch him in the word every day. I I know he'll be in the word. I won't catch her gossiping and lying, but I can catch her counseling people with the truth of scriptures. We'll never catch them being jerks on the street corner, but we can find them saying that Jesus is the only way to eternal life on the street corner. How can they trip you up? Is it only in relation to the worship of your God? And I hope, I pray that that's the case with us. And we need a lot of work, don't we? Because when we look at us and we look at ourselves, we honestly examine ourselves, we will say we're not only a far away from, from Daniel's character. I mean, Daniel was a special guy. God used him. I, 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 I don't measure up to Daniel, so thank God for Jesus. <laughs> thank God for Christ. Because I, I definitely don't measure up to Christ. We all have a long way to go in our being sanctified. But this should, no doubt, be our prayer and our aim. To live this way so that there is no way that we can be accused by anything but something in connection with our worship of God. How awesome, right? May God give you that vision for your own life. So they butter up the king. Notice they come to him. Oh, king, live forever. The king's not going to live forever. (laughs) Gosh. But man, they appeal to his pride. And they lie to him, saying that all the officials have agreed to make a new rule. Daniel was one of the three officials. They lied to his face. All of us have agreed to make a new rule that the only person to be petitioned over the next 30 days should be you, O great Darius, king of the Medes and the Persians. And and he just soaked it up. He didn't even realize what he was doing. We see later, interestingly, Darius was broken over this decision, which the scripture goes out of its way several times to say, you can't revoke this law. (laughs) Can't change it. The consequence for breaking this irrevocable law would be the den of lions. So again, Daniel is facing destruction. He's facing death in connection with his life. So what happens? Darius signs the document. Now, Darius didn't know the truth, but he did know Daniel. He he knew Daniel. Remember, Satan is a liar, and he knows that to influence the world, to destroy as much Christian influence as he can, he needs to appeal to people's pride. And Satan will appeal to the pride of the world, and, and that's, isn't that often how he uses higher, higher influencing governmental powerful people to be destructive in the lives of Christians? It's pride, isn't it? 
power, pride, you. You should have control. You should be God. Additionally, aren't people easily persuaded by popular opinion? Notice that Darius, one of the things he was told is that we all think this should happen. And when the whole culture is going that way, it's hard to stand against it. How quickly someone can lose integrity in any position of influence by simply being a people pleaser. How, how quickly you in any of your places of influence or what you do or wherever you, whatever you are, whatever your calling is, you could be a mom and want to be a people pleaser and get caught up in that of just wanting to please the world and how everybody else says you should be a mom and how you should run your home and you stop looking at God's word. You could be a teacher. You could be a contractor. You could be wherever you are working or whatever your, whatever your calling in life is. And because of the influence of people or because you want to please people, you'll forget to just honor God. That's our calling, though. Darius, obviously, is a pagan here. He's not a worshiper of God, and he was completely caught up in pride and went the way of, that was suggested. So the law is signed, and it cannot be changed. What is Daniel going to do? And this brings us to our third point. And the third point is this. Daniel disciplined himself beforehand for the day of his trial. He disciplined himself beforehand. So let's read the text. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 to 15. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, check this out, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, notice these words, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Incredible, huh? Now, a lot can be said about this. There's a lot in this last final chunk of, of Scripture. The, the evil, just the plotting, that's noteworthy. The, the, what they're doing to go roundabout and to deceive, to create this law, the, the envy is notable. That they would do this because they're envious. Daniel is the man of God that's about to be promoted to a, a higher position, and they're so envious that they would even seek out to bring an end to his life, to destroy him. The manipulation of the king, that's notable. The, the king's regret when he realized his pride had got the better of him. We notice how people will twist your intentions and say things about you that are not true. Did you notice that about Daniel? Oh king, 
Daniel pays no attention to you. That wasn't true. Daniel has been, had been consistently respectful of every king and ruler. And it's not that he didn't pay attention to Darius. It's that he paid more attention to God. He paid ultimate attention to his God. There are times that this happens to us. Just a couple thoughts. Christians, Christians hate women. Right? That can be said. Because of what? Abortion stances. Or other leadership structures in the church. Maybe it's not ever been said about you or towards you, but it is certainly a lie that's said about Christians. And we, there's, it couldn't be further than the, than the truth. What about Christians only want your money? Right? Like lies that are just spread, manipulations, things that are said about people who stand for Christ that just aren't true. And it just go to Scripture and you can see, here's the truth. Or like they did in verse 13, when then they answered and said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. That was not true. What was true, and what I think is important for you and I to hear today of, of, of all of this, is that Daniel loved God more, and he lived a consistent life of worship to God long before this moment ever came. He was consistent and disciplined. There wasn't a law on earth that could come into play no matter the consequences, that would interrupt his unashamed devotion to the one who had been so faithful to him. Nothing could interrupt that. Didn't matter how severe the law was. Daniel was already committed. Here it was in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, when he knew it was signed, he wasted no time. And he went home to his house where he had windows in his upper room open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So he was disciplined before it ever came. The point is not to live pessimistically as though a trial like this is looming around every corner. I, I pray it's not a trial like this. But don't be unaware if you've counted the cost to follow Christ, then you know that part of bearing the cross of his dying is to love God even more than keeping your life. It's to love God more than keeping your life or your job. More, love God more than keeping that influence or platform. See, here's where the test was. See, Daniel was being successful and he was being elevated and he was being promoted. But this didn't stop him from doing what God told him to do and living a life of worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How often do we forget that that is the first and foremost command? That is the most important thing in every one of our lives. To love God supremely. Even more than keeping our life or our job or our position Daniel, he could have ran, and maybe this is where our thoughts go. Why didn't he just go explain this to the king? He could have ran instead of home. He was probably closer to the king, like next door in the other room. Hey, let me just explain. There's a little miscommunication here. Um, I'm actually cool with you, but he didn't. He could have said, you know, they're lying. Actually, I wasn't in that meeting. They said everyone agrees, but I don't agree. Like he could have said anything. And, and maybe this frustrates you. Because, because we are weak. We are weak. And if we're honest, when faced with situations like this, 
how often would we go and do what Daniel just did? And, and just go and give glory to God and worship him unashamedly, publicly, openly, as he had previously done. So he ran. Instead, he ran to God. He didn't go to Darius. He went to God. And he went humbly. He went openly. He went with thanksgiving. And he prayed as he had done since he was a boy. I think that's ultimately what this is saying. As he had previously done. We've been watching his life, haven't we, since his time of captivity? A Jewish boy brought out of captivity and his parents, no doubt, taught him the ways of God. And he's doing what he's always done. And this church, all of these points, this whole text, it does point us to Christ. It points us to Christ ultimately. How does it point us to Christ today? Well, we are all called to live obediently before God. But none of us are truly blameless. We're called to be like Daniel in a sense that we're called to live obediently, to live a life that is obedient to the law of God, to know the scriptures, to love the scriptures, to obey the word, but none of us are blameless. No one can be blameless. That's clear, I think, to all of us. All of us have sinned. All of us have sins for which we are ashamed. Like these officials... Satan is our ultimate accuser. As they're trying to accuse Daniel, we have an accuser. Not only people in this world, but Satan is the ultimate accuser. And he accuses us night and day. And the truth is, we are guilty. We are guilty before God. And yet Christ, hear this, Christ Jesus distinguished himself above all humanity as the God-man in whom there was no iniquity, no sin, utterly blameless, perfect. No accusation could ever stand against Jesus Christ. Do you see where I'm going with this church? You Bible people, you get the gospel, you know where I'm going. It's like, he's going to the gospel. This is where we must go. Christ was blameless. Jesus was far more distinguished than Daniel. And Satan's attempt to snuff him out only just was a, used by God to bring about our redemption. Jesus came as our Savior. He suffered for our sins and is risen today as our high priest. And he pleads our righteousness, his righteousness over us before the Father. So we can't be blameless like Daniel. Don't compare yourself to Daniel and say, well, I need to try to be more blameless now. You should, though, seek to obey, trust, live a life of integrity, but lean on the one who is blameless, lean on Jesus Christ. We can't survive just trying to be good. We need a Savior. Christians in the room, you still need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. We need his high priestly praying over us. Even as Daniel knew the consequences for his actions after the decree was signed, you notice the decree was signed... And he went, knowing the consequences that would come, the lion's den. 
He knew it, every bit of it. So Jesus also fully did know what it would mean to come to this earth and be rejected. He was fully aware of the consequence, the death, what would happen. He knew it would be coming, and he still came to this earth to be rejected, that, we would be, that he would be accused and killed for our sins in order to save us and to give you and me and all who repent and trust in the work of the cross his blameless record. When we think of the blameless life of Daniel, we need to be pointed to Jesus, the blameless record of Christ. All of these things, my prayer is that they create in us a heart of worship and appreciation and adoration for who Christ is. If any of these things cause you to think that there is repentance needed for you today because you've come into the light of his word and in the light of his word you know you need to respond with repentance. Whether that's the first time hearing the gospel and repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus for the salvation of your souls or the majority of you being followers of Christ, you, under the word, you feel conviction. So what do we need to do? We repent, we turn from sin. We turn And we turn to Christ, as Josh said earlier, having confessed our sin to the one and only one who can forgive us and cleanse us. So we need to respond in grace or to his grace with faith. And church, let's unashamedly live for his glory. Unashamedly. Shine our lights before others, as Daniel did. You will be tempted to hide that light under a basket. There will be times where the act of shining the light of Jesus in the gospel will mean consequences. And you'll have to make that decision. And it'll happen in various contexts. Some will be easier. Some will be harder. Some could be extreme. Make those decisions, though, based on God's word and on the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen to the Spirit. Discern where God is leading you but unashamedly shine our lights before others and discipline our lives every day in the word and in prayer before God so that we're ready on the day of trial. We can't say and expect for the trial to come and then start loving God above everything else and then start disciplining ourselves in the word that feeds our soul and strengthens us for the day of trial or praying to the one and communicating with God who has given us access to him through Jesus and say when that trial comes then I'll pray what we have here is that the only way Daniel was ready to face the lion's den and I'm Isaac I'm sorry I had to like lean that way a little bit but you can cover that too the only, the only way that we are ready for anything like this or that Daniel was is that he had already been doing this. He had already been praying three times a day. What is this saying to us? Go pray three times a day? No. But pray consistently? Yeah. Actually, Paul says it even more. Pray without ceasing. Right? So don't limit yourself to three times a day. You're limiting God by doing that. Pray unceasingly. Live a life in communication with God. Depend on him. Trust in him. Be disciplined in his word. That will strengthen you for the day of the trial. Whatever that trial is. Whether it's a big national trial or a little trials that you're facing in your life. You'll be given strength by disciplining yourself 
ahead of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you know us. That each of our lives, they're not a mystery to you. You know where we are. You know what we need. You know our sins. You know our distractions and our failures. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful to us. Because those of us who have already believed that, we know that you call the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The things that are not lovely. And you make us lovely. You see our sins, but you give us grace. And you give it to us through Jesus. And you did it in such a way that you didn't avoid the consequence of sin. But sin was still dealt with. And we thank you, God, because we think about the cross and we think of that penalty and the, and the agony and the suffering and, and we're, we're just reminded of how serious our sins are. And your utter hatred towards sin. But Jesus, you absorbed it. You absorbed the Father's wrath. So we just come again humbly, thankful that you are the blameless one. And that if we rest in Christ, if we're hidden in Christ, then there is no accusation the enemy can make against us. Ultimately, God, help us to shine our light. I pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, mm-hmm. to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want to be ashamed of this message. I pray that as we have opportunity to use our lives to point to Jesus, that we would do that. Mm-hmm. Help each person. Help the fear to go away. Equip and strengthen each one who desires to do this but has lacked boldness. God, give boldness to this church, to each person. As they reach out and they cry out to you now, God, give boldness. And and as the light is on us and as we shine the light of Christ and the enemy presses against us and we face opposition, God, I pray that we will be prepared that you would prepare us even now, God, that we, if we are not girding up the loins of our mind, if we're not preparing ourselves for battle, even in this moment, putting on the armor of Christ daily, God, that we would begin to do that, that we would take all of that very seriously and and be committed to disciplining ourselves before the trial comes. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Mm -hmm. Deliver us, God. I pray for those, Lord, that are repenting today, repenting of uh, specific things, turning from things they've done, things they regret. May they turn to you and find peace and forgiveness and the grace to continue. Mm. Thank you, God. Wash over us with the truth of your word. Thank you for the gospel, that your righteousness becomes our righteousness through faith. Thank you for your blood, shedding it for us. Thank you. Thank you for everything, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check